This episode of the Disney Film Project podcast is brought to you by touringplans.com. It is the one-stop shop on the internet for figuring out how you are going to plan your Disney vacation, Disneyland or Disney World, it doesn't matter. Seven Dwarfs Mine Train, you want to figure out how to get there and not wait in line? This is how you do it, touringplans.com. Disneyland, you're trying to figure out how to get out there and how to navigate all the cool new stuff like Cars Land and Buena Vista Street and all that great stuff without having to wait in line, touringplans.com. You can optimize your touring plans, check the crowd calendar, do all kinds of great stuff. Make sure you check that out over at touringplans.com. They're the sponsor of this week's episode of the Disney Film Project Podcast. Welcome again, everybody, to the Disney Film Project Podcast. This is the show where we talk about the films of the Walt Disney Company. They could be Marvel, Pixar, Lucasfilm, Disney Toon Studios, anything and everything in between. We talk about it here on this program and over at DisneyFilmProject.com. I'm Ryan Kilpatrick, and along with the folks you're about to meet, we run DisneyFilmProject.com, where you can find show notes for this very show. You can find Blu-ray and DVD reviews, in-film reviews of stuff that's in the theaters. You can find all kinds of great stuff uh, over at DisneyFilmProject.com, so make sure you go and check out the content there. Joining me, as always, we have our fine film experts. First of all, there is Mr. Todd Perlmutter, and when other planes fly out, he goes back in time to prevent the disaster so nobody has to go anywhere at all, saving us all. Is that correct? That's right. Then we can drink more oil. Perfect. Also joining us, of course, we have Miss Rachel Cole of JustPressPlay.net. How are you, Rachel? I'm doing pretty great. Um, I just wanted to give a quick plug for uh, for my theater-centric website. If you listen to me here on the show and say, hey, I enjoy... Rachel's Broadway Musings. Where can I find more of that? Uh, you can find it at LutusNYC.com. I actually just put up a review for uh, Mary Poppins on Broadway. A little retrospect on that. Hold on. I don't believe people know how to spell Lutus. I'm just saying, Rachel. I think yes. you got to spell it for people. Okay. Spelling is L-U-D-U-S-N-Y-C.com. It's a Latin word for play for theater. So very, very pretentious. So. Yes. <laughs> All right, so go check that out. Uh, that, I, I'm going to get to check that out uh, later tonight. I might. Uh, also joining us, of course, we have our fine producer, the person who keeps things running around here, and that is the one and only Miss Cheryl Perlmutter. How are you, Cheryl? Doing good. Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. All right, so tonight, today, wherever, what time it is, where you are in your listening habits, Um, We are discussing Planes, Fire, and Rescue, the sequel to Planes that was greenlit six months after the first film went into production, according to to my research. Not even six months from what they said when when they talked to us. So, there you go. Uh, Yes, it's the sequel to the use this term loosely, successful first movie planes? I mean, I guess it made a profit. Was it... I don't know how successful it actually was. It's certainly successful in terms of, like, uh, toys and merchandise. Yes, which I think... We talked about this when we first reviewed planes, that that was kind of the lens you had to view this through, is it's sort of an hour-and-a-half commercial for toys. 
Yes, certainly not one for racing. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and so Planes, Fire, and Rescue is a way to take the characters that you knew and somewhat enjoyed from Planes and move them into a new milieu uh, of a disaster movie, according to the director, and add new people to the cast, including helicopters and little driving bulldozers and things like that. All kinds of new characters, which of course means new toys. Yes. I, I, I can't think of any other reason why they made the movie. Not, not to say whether or not the movie is good. I will get to that part, but I, I don't know of any other reason why they would have made it. Yeah, because at the time they were just greenlighting. They didn't know what they were getting into because even back then, he, although they started like plotting some things out, they didn't know that this was going to be the theme for the movie. So, right. you know, things grow and you know, morph, and they got something probably not quite what they're expecting when they re- Although I have to say that having, uh, again, been a big fan of the original Cars, if you listen to our, our show on that, uh, and then seeing Cars 2, which I was not as big a fan of, uh, and then watching Planes, I feel like they've sort of done some damage to the whole car world brand, if, for lack of a better term here. Okay, this this might surprise you because this this wasn't a movie I was particularly looking forward to. I I wasn't the most positive about the original Planes movie, but I kind of have to agree with what Cheryl told me going into this. Um, I this isn't something that I'm going to go back to. This isn't something that I'm going to watch a ton or own on DVD. But it exceeded my expectations. I would I would tend to agree with you. It was better than I expected. Now, to be fair, my expectations were super low. I imagine yours were as well. Yes. Yeah. So it's, it, it, I don't know, it, it, it's one of those things that I feel like, yes, they managed to pull off a bad idea in a decent way. It's probably the best way I can sum it up. I'm well, not saying this was a bad idea. Well, I would say this. It's the same plot that we got in the first planes and the first cars. In that it's a guy who is trying to figure out how to do something new, being mentored by the old guy who's hiding a secret that everybody knows but nobody (laughs) talks to him about that is revealed towards the end of the movie and becomes a part of how they end up saving the day. (laughs) Well, except – wait, wait. I'm going to back off one thing. In this movie, everybody knew what the old guy's secret was. In the other two movies, nobody knew what the old guy's secret was. Because the characters like make a really big thing about that. Okay, fair enough. In, in, the, in, the, in Cars and in the original planes. But you'll agree that the, we've now told a very similar plot in three of these four films. But let's add that we had the firefighting plot here. Yeah, no, I, and that's the thing. Is like he's learning firefighting in this one. In the la, in the first one, it was almost a direct ripoff of Cars, with the exception that they changed the old veteran from you know a, a racer to a a World War II pilot. But you know, I mean, the the basic idea of learning something new in and mentored by an old guy who has a secret has not changed. Yes, that's true, but. Partway through this movie, I realized how I need to view this movie, which is actually in the same vein of things like the original Transformers cartoon. Yeah. Once you once you start to view it in that sense, it's actually very good. 
Like, <laughs> this is like you were talking about the whole notion of it's meant to sell toys. You're basically telling the same stories over and over again, but you're introducing new characters and thus new toys into it. Again, this is Transformers. By the way, Rachel, I wanted to say I'm so glad you mentioned the Transformers thing because I spent much of the movie wanting the smoke jumpers to become Devastator. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I absolutely think I I agree with Ryan that I do think this was very much meant for toys, but that doesn't mean like for what it is, it's actually very good and I like the messages of this movie much more than the original planes. Yeah, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I think this one it this is where I had wished that they had gone in the first movie, right? As far as, like you're saying, the messages and how things work and uh, the way the characters act and behave. I, I definitely think it's, it's a big improvement uh, over the first one. That said, that's a low bar to clear. Yeah, because the first movie is really about Dusty's personal dream of wanting to win this race. And it's much, so much about his ego. And whereas this movie is about how Dusty has to let go of doing things his way and let go of his ego. Because if he does things his way, he could get other characters killed. Right. Like the whole the whole sequence, sorry to jump ahead, but the whole sequence with him and Ed Harris's character, um, with them going down the falls and everything, I just I was kinda cheering because I was waiting for that in the first movie for something like like that, for him doing things his way to really get him into trouble. Right. Yeah, and we didn't get much of that at all in the first film. No. Uh, yeah, so this one, uh, you know, like like we said, we we could talk probably talk through this for a while, but um, story wise, it's it's basically they have to figure out a way to transition Dusty out of the racing career, uh, unless they're going to go the Cars two route and take him around the world. But they chose not to do that. So in order to introduce the new characters, he which been around the world. yeah, he already did the around the world. <laughs> oh, that's true. Good point. Good point. Yeah. <laughs> So they got to figure out something for him to do that would introduce new characters. So again, they they decide to make him into a firefighter. Uh, And so the first part of the movie is basically figuring out why he's going to make that transition, which I have to say, again, giving this, this movie some credit, the idea of how they got to that point of, of transitioning him into being a firefighter away from being a racer, that part actually made a lot of sense. And I thought they actually took some time to, figure that out yeah his sports injury right yeah, yeah. i mean it, uh, it's it's kind of exactly what you would think you know i read an interview and bob Ganaway did not uh set that up himself he leveraged the fact that they set that up unintentionally in the first movie oh interesting i didn't know that right yeah because because they spend like much of the first movie doing this thing with over torquing him yeah right and he said, well, that's got to cause something bad to happen. So he went and researched and found out that eventually it will cause high wear on the engine, which will cause engine parts like the gearbox to break down. And he went through that whole thing, and that's, he said, this is what we're going to do. He can't be a racer anymore. This is what's going to happen. Cool. Yeah, so, I mean, so, the basic idea is um, as, as Dusty is now this world-famous racer from, from the first film, he – as he's doing a practice run, he overtorques his engine. It goes into the red on the on the engine compartment dial, and his gearbox gets damaged. 
so uh, he goes back to the mechanic, Dottie, and uh, she says, look, if you don't, you can't push it into the red anymore. I'm going to put a warning light in, and if you do that, then there's no way for me to fix you, right, if you break it any further. Yeah. And he does. For, for people who are interested <laughs> in the racing, right, is, is that they do a segue montage of racing at the very beginning. Of, yeah. under, the, under the credits of the movie as it's playing, and then they go into this this part of it so right yep and and so he uh, you know feeling sort of defeated i guess and and trying to figure out a way to to make it past this this hindrance that he has um dusty goes out at night to try to fly uh torques his engine breaks it falls a little bit from the sky and starts when he get gathers himself up together he ends up crashing into uh, part of the stuff at Prop Wash Junction, which ends up causing a fire. And so you can... I, I loved how it... You know the comment that uh, about him wanting to do an action uh, disaster movie? Yes. This crash was taken out of like every action disaster movie you've ever seen, right? Where the thing comes flying in hot... Or the race car can't stop because its brakes are out, or something like that, and it spins and it hits something, and you don't think anything's happened, and then all of a sudden everything happens really slowly, and catastrophe occurs. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. But it was just very—it was very formulaic. I mean, he it, it, he did a really good job with the design of the scene as a result because it was just—you knew what was going to happen, but it played very well. Yeah, no, it did. It, it's playing on, um, and I think that's what this movie. This movie is obviously not meant for like grownups and adults in the same way that like Cars or the other Pixar films are, right? Like this is meant for younger children. That's kind yes. of the point. And so it does a good job in many of these sequences of playing on things that kids may have like heard hints of or not seen before, but like as a they're familiar tropes, and that's one of them. Yeah. Well, the whole concept of a second chance keeps coming up again and again and again in this movie. Yeah, that's yep. right. So you know, because this is this is we're we're leading to Mayday's second chance, and you know, yes. And, Which Mayday? Okay, I was so excited when I saw who was voicing him in this movie. Yes, Can, Mayday, the fire truck who helps Dusty put or who puts out the fire with Dusty's help. Yeah. Voice by the legendary Hal Holbrook, who. Um, definitely look this up. He does these Mark Twain shows where he actually dresses up and does an entire show as in character as Mark Twain and tells stories. And he's very talented and he's been nominated for Oscars, uh, specifically, I think most recently for Into the Wild. But he's just a great actor. And I was really happy to see his name in the cast for this. Ah, I, I did want to point out just because Ryan quickly mentioned Pixar in there is that John Ratzenberger does do a voice in this movie very quickly. He does. He, has a little cam- he does his little cameo moment. He's he's playing he's, Brody. He does a few times. He does. He's he's in a few times. Is he? Yes. I mean, the one that he's the one that I know he's credited with is that plane that um, makes a comment is how am I going to make my money back or some you know when he comes out from the ho- I think it's the hotel in Propwatch Junction. Yeah. So. For the corn festival, correct. Which, which, <laughs> being from originally from Iowa, I was having flashbacks to my childhood. <laughs> my because, favorite is the outfit. Yeah. Okay. The outfit. 
Okay, quick quick aside. Um, I used to go to these children's theater productions, which were all hosted. It would be like fairy tales, you know, Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty, those types of stories. And it was always hosted by a character na- uh, named Playtime Poppy, who was a giant ear of corn. <laughs> Someone would dress up in a giant ear of corn costume and lead the children in song before all of these shows. So... <laughs> Did, I was did, having did the some dentist then buy it and then have to repurpose it as a tooth. <laughs> <laughs> or did you uh, mean a whole ear of corn and not it was, a it was, Sorry, you meant a whole an, ear, not a yeah, cut. Yeah, it was yeah. an entire ear of corn. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's a lot. Yes. Maybe I'll I'll have to see if I can find some pictures from it to include in the I, show notes. That would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah, the town is getting ready for the corn festival, so that's why it's such a big deal when the fire happens. Um, they actually end up having to knock the water tower over to quench the fire, and with, this is a problem. The the government safety inspector comes the next morning, <laughs> which is apparently a very humorous moment, according to Cheryl. <laughs> the way he flops down all the little cones, <laughs> he flops down all the little cones. Yeah, his- the, the way they cone Mayday in so he can't get out, and they question, yes. they corner him for questioning. It's it's a very cute thing. Yeah, it's the same way. Are you writing down this? Are you writing down this? Are you writing down this? Yeah, that was pretty funny. That was also, pretty the, funny. Cur- the the clever curse avoidance. I like that because he, he he instead of saying oh, he says oh Chevy. Yes. Yep. <laughs> they do that a couple times in this movie. I was like, oh, they're throwing us a bone of those of us who have to go see this with their children. I like it. <laughs> But yes, uh, so the whole idea is the government inspector closes the airport because the only firefighting personnel is Mayday, the the very old fire truck who needs to be upgraded, and then they need a backup firefighter. So you can see where this is going because Dusty is the one who uh, caused the fire. He volunteers. He goes into Mayday's garage and sees on the wall that there are planes who fight fire, which I'm kind of surprised he didn't know this already. It Well... Like Rachel was saying, um, Dusty was a is a character who is very full of what he wants and doesn't necessarily pay attention to what others want or do. That that is very much a theme in the first movie. That's true. Okay, and so I'm not surprised actually that he didn't know. Although you're right, he is um, he is the type one of the types of airplanes that they use as that they call a seat, which is a big part of the the movie. Which they you know that's the single engine air tanker, and this is the first time it comes up in the movie. Because Mayday recalls the picture, and it's actually recalling a real historical moment. The picture, yes, they just okay. they just recreated it with the cars char- type characters. Because he's referencing the Mendocino fires in 1955, when the first crop dusters were that were um, repurposed to be firefighting aircrafts occurred. Back then, they used water. You'll learn that later on in the movie they don't use water so much anymore, unless it's necessary to. But uh, and, and that's it. So that's a picture. That's a real historical picture redone by them for with Mayday in the picture as the fire engine and the crop duster up in the air. So, oh, okay. yeah, that's cool. something that yeah. you can really give uh, the production team credit on. They they met with firefighters as part of their research. They asked the uh, Los Angeles Fire Department to help them in their research and even invited them to the premiere out in California. Yeah, they also and and. and 
and uh, this particular base that the whole concept of, because in the movie, we haven't really gotten to it yet, but it's the uh, base is the Piston Peak Air Attack is the name of the fire group that he's going to go to momentarily to join, okay, mm-hmm. is Cal Fire uh, put them in contact with the Helmet Ryan Air Attack base, which is an, ac- which is an actual base. So when they introduce Blade Ranger, is Blade Ranger is actually designed after the helicopter that was on base to the point where the number 301 on the side is the same number as the one that's at the base. Oh, okay. So. Yeah, I have to say, in general, just the, from, from an animation standpoint and from things like, like you guys are talking about, I feel like they put a lot more care and effort into this film than they did the first one. Yes. It's just little touches like like you guys are talking about, as well as things like, um, just like the scene where where Dusty takes off and he's flying to Piston Peak, the the national park. Like the the way the wheat fields are waving and things as he's flying over, things like that are just kind of amazing uh, when you look at this versus the first film. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, can I can I give a, a clever show fact? You may. Our show, our show. I just wanted to say that because we didn't really discuss this. Well, first of all, our planes episode for the original movie was episode one thirty seven for anyone who wants to find it. But did you know that that was Rachel's second episode with us? But her la- but she wasn't the host until the following one. Ah, that's right. Aw, memories. <laughs> <laughs> What the year ago now? Yep, yep. I, I have to say yeah. I had a much better uh, in theater experience seeing this movie than seeing the first planes because I don't <laughs> know if you remember, but I had a pretty awful experience with the audience members I was watching it with. I don't recall. I wanted I wanted to have a chance to listen to the episode again before we did this, but I did not have a chance. Yeah, there were scooters involved. Scooters. Yes. Go back. Go back and listen. That's all I'll say. I, I know. Now I want to. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to mention that I'm, I did research as well, and the Piston Peak Park is based upon both Yosemite and Yellowstone National Park. Oh, very cool. Yes. And yeah. um, I want to say that hotel, although it's based upon a hotel in Yellowstone, actually looks a lot like a hotel certain where in Disney World. That's because <laughs> that's because the you can say it because the uh, the, the Old Lodge. Faithful Inn is actually one of the inspirations for the Wilderness Lodge. One of three <laughs> oh, inspirations for the Wilderness so Lodge. Right. So yeah. So yes, he, he uh, Dusty manages to go to Piston Peak National Park, where he meets the fire and rescue crew. Uh, so you have Little Dipper, who immediately takes to Dusty uh, in a very sort of stalkerish, creepy way. Just saying. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I did. Anybody else listen to uh, Julie Bowen's interview that Disney had put up? No, I don't think so. No. Yeah. So I just the, the key thing, I mean most of it is her being her usual silliness, right? But because she has that usual silliness to her, is they let her ad lib a lot of what she says in the movie as a result. Well, she's so. been a part of the uh, ABC Disney family for a long time. I mean, she was on uh, Boston Legal 
for quite a few years, and uh, obviously she's on Modern Family right now. Correct. Yeah. Right. We just yeah. keep going down him. Yeah. Well, we've got we've got Little Dipper. We have. Um, Obviously, Blade Ranger is the leader, but we'll get to him in a minute because he doesn't show up in this first scene. Um, Windlifter, who's my favorite character in the whole movie. Yep. <laughs> who's He's a giant helicopter, and they've done the blades up as sort of a Native American headdress, and he speaks in, in Native American speak. Now, I, I will say this. I have no idea if his character is wildly offensive to Native Americans or not. I don't know. I haven't oh. even I haven't seen anything about it, but... They they actually um, had um, certain you know various um, people who are known for consulting on that type of stuff in Hollywood come in you know from various tribes and consult and and make sure that they were not actually being offensive. Good. Okay, good because I was like, this could be, but I don't think it is. But I don't know. But I I thought he was great the well, whole, yeah. whole time. Compared to the original planes, there are significantly less uh, stereotypes going on. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and by significantly, you mean way, 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 way more in the first movie. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> Again, a little more care and effort put into this one, I think. Yeah. Uh, well, so- it, like we said, it's the the production crew, the crews are not the same, other than Dane Cook and is voicing the main character and they have the other character the other four characters who are kind of main characters as well right so uh and so the other the other characters there at piston peak is uh cabbie who's the giant uh, i don't know what you'd call him he's the guy who carries all the smoke jumpers the little yep. tiny um guys that both todd and i wanted to be transformers but weren't <laughs> yes I can and name all the smoke jumpers. Please do. Yes, the smoke jumpers are dynamite, avalanche, pinecone, blackout, and drip. Which sound like transformers. They do, and that's again, that's why I was like, really, like, c- come on, would it have not been totally fine if in the middle of the fire they all joined together and then they took a big tree out or something like that? I think it would have been better. Yeah, I mean, it was just the one thing they could have gone just a little further. Yeah, I agree. And think uh, of think of the toy tie-ins. You have to buy them all, and then <laughs> you can true. transform them. <laughs> <laughs> I would be doing it, and Cheryl would be killing me for it. <laughs> Transformers so, are hot now. Yeah, the the five smoke jumpers were actually based on a real uh, group of smoke jumpers that they followed through smoke jumping school and graduation. Oh wow! Yeah. So they and what they did is when these guys were doing their practice maneuvers. They actually would strap helmets to their heads when they were doing their jumps and everything like that so that they would have the realism of the jumps. That's cool. Yeah. Again, they actually did some research and some work on this. Yeah. Exactly. That's why I'm bringing it up. Yep. So Dusty goes out. They get a call that there's a fire, uh, and Dusty goes out to watch the team in action um, putting out a fire. The one thing I will say is – is it not? Is this fire not the exact same fire they put out later on in the movie? Yes, it looks like the it, same one. No, no. Well, they said it's. They thought they had it under control, and then it comes back. That's what yes. I. Or is that a yeah, second yeah, fire? Yeah, one of the like, one of the planes that is hauling guests. 
Because um, it doesn't seem like a lot of time passes in this movie. Yeah, no, they think no. one of the planes that, is, that hauls guests had switched to wind. Yeah. And that's why... Right. The, the, oh, yeah, the, the, pl- the big plane that flies in later on. Yeah. That's what they were right. talking about, yeah. But, I mean, also, even, for- even it looks like some of the animation gets reused... Yes. By the way, before we talk about the fire, you forgot to mention the m- most important person at the base. Or, I'm sorry, critter at the base. I don't know. What do you, what do you call them? He's the Maru, the, uh, the fi- Mr. Fix-It-Up. Repurpose. 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 Better than new. Yes. <laughs> Better than new. That's yes, right. which, which my daughter will not stop saying after seeing the movie. <laughs> <laughs> so then it worked. Um... Define worked. <laughs> Drove parents crazy. Yes, it worked. <laughs> well, you left it up to me to, you know. Yeah, no, that's why I wanted you there. to define it. Yep. But yes, Maru, the forklift. Um, yeah, he yes. was the he's the the guy that we're talking about, the, the mechanic who ends up playing quite a big uh, role in the film. Yeah. But yeah, so Dusty goes and, and, and watches them put this fire out. Uh, he actually gets sort of in the way, and that's when he meets Blade, the the chopper who's in charge of everything here, uh, who is voiced by Ed Harris. I was really hoping, instead of his name being Blade Ranger, that his name would be Blade Runner. But, <laughs> <laughs> but not, 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 they didn't do that, so, you know. I, I was hoping. I, get, I kept my fingers crossed, but it didn't happen. And so that he finds out that this is the story. This is what's going to happen, uh, that, that Dusty has come to train. He's the trainee after yelling at him for getting in the way. Uh, right about the same time, we get introduced to uh, the Cad Spinner, who is the – I don't know what you call him. Yeah, he's just the, the head of the, the park, basically. Right. And he's so looking for he, a promotion. Yeah. Right. He's only concerned with the lodge, uh, the big lodge that we saw uh, that that uh, that Dusty flew over, which my daughter, in uh, having already seen the movie with her grandmother when we went to see it uh, the other night, leans over as soon as uh, Dusty flies over and um, spoiler alert, but we're spoiling the whole movie. So she goes, that that thing's going to catch on fire, daddy. I was like, oh, good. (laughs) Now I know how the movie goes. Yeah, this is actually Cat is actually played by John Michael Higgins, who yes. is. I will say, say uh, is. he is he is uh, Professor Whitman in Community, which he basic basically on that show he plays uh, uh, Robin Williams' character from Dead Poet Society. Ah, there you go. He's he's the free spirited English professor who encourages his students to go out and carpe diem. Gotcha. Gotcha. But yeah, he's a very cool. funny guy. <laughs> well, I, I that was one thing is I felt every character was appropriately assigned to the actors in this movie, which I don't always feel in these animated movies. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, they definitely got the voices right and the characters right. Because, I mean, he's really great in this, uh, even though he's evil. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, he he wants Dusty to come down to the hotel because the whole thing is he's he's putting people up from the hotel uh, for the grand reopening of the lodge and isn't you know he's basically it's revealed cut the budget of the firefighters and done all these things so that they are having challenges doing their jobs correctly. 
So that's the, that's the basic conflict in the movie. That's actually a reflection of a lot of things that actually happen in, in real life is, you know, you need basic fire and police protection and they get seem to have their budgets cut a lot by government. Yeah. You know, people and stuff like that. And one of the things that they did is when they were talking with the guys at the air attack base that they went to visit, they heard that they had to repurpose a lot of stuff constantly in order to keep ahead of need based on the number of fires they had to fight and that type of stuff. So they wanted to carry that whole concept of repurposing and reuse forward and small budgets and that kind of stuff. So that's why it plays so heavily into the plot. Yeah, which I actually really liked because it's something that you wouldn't always put in a kid's movie like this, right? Like it wouldn't be something that you would automatically put in that there's a conflict between, you know, the government and, and the and the the firefighters and things like that. I so I really enjoyed the fact that they, they did that. So then of course, Todd, we get our yours and my favorite thing uh, of any <laughs> any film, which is the training montage. <laughs> it, it doesn't go very well. Yes, we no. put the, we put out the campers. <laughs> yes, that's uh, Harvey and Winnie, who we'll meet later on that night. Like, like this is again, this is a thing, right? Like I, I mentioned this a few minutes ago, but like literally, like maybe there's three days in this entire movie. Yeah, no, it doesn't take very long at all. <laughs> Well, I mean, he gets a he gets a lot of fire training fast. I was pretty sure fire school lasted longer than that. I would think so. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I would agree with that. But, but but not in the film. But this is not my favorite thing in this movie. You know what it is. Your favorite think, thing in the movie. I think I know yes. because it's also my favorite thing in this movie. Hoist. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I have it in my notes. <laughs> I just have hoist in the middle of my notes. Really, but yes, the whole the whole thing where they uh, did the chips spin off as chops. Yes. Yes. Was was perhaps one of the greatest things in these animated movies in a very long time. Yes. yes. And, it and was the fact that they have great. Eric Estrada. <laughs> doing yes, doing doing playing Nick Lupin Lopez. And yes. Eric Estrada, for people who are not old enough to know and may not have actually seen CHIPS, which incidentally stands for California Highway Patrol, which is motorcycle cops from the 70s and, and early 80s. And CHOPS is the thing in the movie, which is the California Helicopter Patrol. <laughs> that, that was. I don't know how they got to CHOPS, you know, so uh, at least highway, it's like HI, but, you know, I guess for Chopper Patrol, I don't know. What I love best about this, though, is they paid attention to the detail. So if you catch, right, is one of uh, Dipper's lines is 139 episodes of Lawbreak and Love. Yeah. There were actually 139 yep. episodes of the actual chip show. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so oh. they, were, they were really paying full-on full attention to that. I also wanted to mention that Eric Estrada was very happy because he got to also do the Spanish voice work for his character, which apparently this is the first time that he's had the opportunity to do that. Oh, interesting. Well, he should have more opportunities to do it. Yes. There's a lot lot of, if there's younger people right now going, who is Eric Estrada? Why are they talking about this guy? Where we apologize. He was a big, big to-do in the 80s and 90s. 
So indeed, indeed. Yeah, he occasionally still shows up on usually direct to DVD movies that I get to review. <laughs> um, <laughs> lots of direct to DVD he- stuff. Are the ones where he has like a gun? Like usually, like I love the ones where they would always give him like the big weapon, and they would have him do the big stand and fire thing, like like Stallone does too, right? Yeah, they would always have him do the Stallone mimicking. The last movie I got with him was him saving this girl who's kidnapped. So ah. that's that's the type of movies that he's doing these days. Interesting. Uh, what well, one interesting fact that I had about the movie as a whole is. Um, Blade and Windlifter, both being helicopters, do a lot of very interesting helicopter maneuvers in this movie. Some of them are some of the most are patterned after some of the most difficult helicopter stunts that pilots do to begin with. Okay, so they actually got in Chuck Aaron, who is literally one of the most renowned helicopter and aerobatic flyers in the entire world. Okay, to re- to review every single maneuver they made those helicopters go through. Wow. Yeah. So again, they spent a lot of effort on making sure their attention to detail was high. I also have three Easter eggs. One is the Dinoco cans, which were in the bar. Okay. The other is a picture of Lightning McQueen was seen on the racing paper that Dusty was reading. And yeah, it's was... on. It's the paper is for people who are looking for it in the movie. Are is by the. Um, when they show the wall of death, I don't know what you call that. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 in the air attack base, they have a wall that has pictures of all the, wa- the helicopters and everything that have washed out. And there's a paper there with a picture of is, is where the picture of Lightning McQueen is, right next to the, the picture of Lupin Lopez, who is the first one up on the board. And they, are, um, and they have a, also a picture of Sarge in Mayday's garage. Yes, I've noticed that as well, yeah. So once we get through the the training montage uh, and we get through a couple of things uh, that in that you know we find out about chops which we just talked about which is dun, the secret dun, it, da, da. <laughs> which is the, the deep dark secret that Blade has been hiding is that uh, that he was on chops uh, we don't know exactly why that's a deep dark secret yet. Uh, but we do find that out, and then Dusty watches an episode with Dipper and, and the gang. Yes, we know why, because it's a mysterious mystery. <laughs> yes. It's it's a J.J. Abrams mystery box. <laughs> uh, hoist! i sorry, I can't help it. So uh, the whole thing with them in that hangar watching it too is awesome. That's funny. I mean, I, yeah. I think I think now I will say like I went, once we found out that hey the old grizzled guy has a secret that he's hiding. I was like really again, but when I found out that it was the fact that he was on a chips basically, that's pretty funny. I will <laughs> I will grant them that that's original. I will give them that. Yeah, for the most part, actually, the humor in this movie didn't really hit for me. Like it was a lot of. It was a lot of toilet humor, to be honest, and I'm not usually about that. I'm not usually about the fart jokes and all that, but I thought this was very clever and very well done. Probably the funniest part of the whole movie. Yeah, agreed. Uh, and so Dusty, shortly thereafter, gets a call from his friends back in Propwash Junction who have been looking for a gearbox to replace the one that he had. Uh, and they find out that they can't get one. Oh, 
I should say earlier they had told him they thought they had one. It was going to be there soon. Then they've called him back, and they it turns out they do not have one. And so he's yeah. yeah. So he's very very upset about this. And so he's, you know, now as he's training, he's still doing poorly and not not doing as well. When it turns out, uh, like we said, I, I will say this: building up to the finale, the like the last, I don't know what you'd call it, maybe the last thirty minutes of the film. Uh, you know, they 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 left a lot of room for this last climax of the film, which I thought was good because normally in some of these movies, you you know, the climax of the film, like in in, in the races and things like that, can be shortened. Uh, and they left a lot of room for this to breathe and, you know, take many twists and turns as they're fighting this final fire in the movie. Yeah, it, it's it's really well done. It's hard to explain, but the whole thing, like, it, it's it's literally the next scene is they're flying around and, and Dusty's not really listening. Right. And messes up a whole number of things as a result. And Blade is getting more and more angry with him. And then he ends up in the river... Right, and this, and he goes down the river, and he, they can't. He keeps trying to hoist. Yes. Dusty. It does, and it does. It's not really working until a point where Dusty is finally about to go over the falls, and he, then he finally catches Dusty, and lowers him in the ground. But in doing so, Blade damaged himself, so he has to land. And then they're both gonna. He's telling Blade, telling him to go, and he's saying, "No, I'll stay," and vice versa. So they have an argument, and they end up both being forced to stay because they can't take off in the fire. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and they, they're forced to stay, and and, Dust, and one of the things that Dusty was not doing is when he w- they were trying to get out of the water, um, they were trying to get, uh, Blade was trying to get him to push, push the power, and push his torque, basically, so that he could fly out of the water, and he wouldn't do it. And so Dusty has to confess at this moment that... You know the reason why he's not doing that is because of his gear, his busted gearbox, and so Blade basically tells him, um, "Suck it up." <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, everybody's got problems. You just got to get through it and, and move on with life. Uh, so they actually, because they're grounded, have to f- hide out in an abandoned mine while the fire uh, happens. Uh, and this is this is pretty intense, I would say. For I mean, I would assume we would all agree. Like the target audience for this is like you know eight to twelve year olds or somewhere in that range. Um, yeah. it's pretty intense with the fire, and that's the other part of the animation I really liked is like the little you know the little um, sparks that fly off the fire and things like that. Especially when the screen goes to black and they they sort of fade the sparks out. It looks exactly like what you would see with like a campfire or thing something like that. I thought that was really excellent uh the way they did that i thought this was also the proper level of seriousness as opposed to the previous movie which had just all the planes carnage in the world war ii segment i felt like this was the proper amount of <laughs> yes scariness I, there's a big difference yes <laughs> it, here's the thing is i think kids can absorb and understand what's happening in this scene a lot better than they can that war scene in the first planes Yes, yeah, completely, completely. Yeah. yeah, I agree. And I think that the the thing is, it actually gives stakes to this movie. Whereas in the first film, it's you know the racing is sort of the stakes. In this one, it feels like the stakes are real. You know, like there are real 
things to be concerned about. And especially, and this is jumping ahead a bit, but like, especially when the road gets blocked later on by the fire, I yeah. thought, I mean, that's really good. That's you're providing stakes, not just for the, the firefighters, but for all of the people involved, uh, for Cad Spinner's mistreatment for the things that he does wrong, all that sort of thing. Uh, yeah. So I felt like that really amped up the stakes in a way that you didn't see in the first one. This, this is also a mythological moment, right? Because this is, this is the, the phoenix dying by fire and being reborn, right? That's essentially what happens to right. them, to the yeah. both of them and to a certain degree, right? So cause, because Blade stops being, being so strong, but at the same time, Dusty comes miles ahead of where he was, you know, all in one, one uh, being trapped overnight. Yeah, one fell swoop. He sort of, he sort yeah. of makes, the, makes it happen. Uh, he becomes the character that we knew he was going to from the beginning of the movie. But I think they did it in an interesting way. Like, again, we've said this many times, it's not always about n- not knowing what's coming next. It's about how you get there. And I think that they did that in an interesting way. Uh, in having him here and having Blade, you know, be the saving him, basically shielding him, burning his side, and then they have to get airlifted back to uh, Piston Peak. My note for the scene from uh, <laughs> from his inspirational speech of through him sacrificing himself is just, "Yay, Ed Harris! You tell him how it is." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, this whole moment, like I was saying, it's, it's mythological. It's Clearly, whoever wrote this particular scene, right, whoever worked on, on the things of it was really a fan of Joseph Campbell and his, the whole hero's journey concept and everything like that. Yeah. No, you're right. Absolutely. So it's, yeah, back at Piston Peak that Dusty finds out what the story was with, with Blade's co-star from Chops. Dun-dun-dun-dun. Uh, go ahead. Say hoist. I know you want to. Hoist! There we go. Uh, it turns out that he was killed during a stunt that went wrong on the set. So Blade was there. He couldn't stop it, and that's what persuaded him to become a firefighter. He was the one. He, he also had damage uh, in, that, in that stunt, and he decided to become a firefighter. So now we found out um, Blade's deep, dark secret. And so meanwhile, back at the Ponderosa, uh, which I, I'm, that's what I'm going to call the lodge, uh, Cad Spinner <laughs> is, is – you know, hosting all everyone, uh, and there is a fire going on, but supposedly the firefighters have contained it. Um, But like Cheryl mentioned earlier, when one of the planes flies over low over the fire, it sort of shifts the wind a little bit, and some embers go flying over and catch the, you know, kind of spread the fire. It jumps the the wall that they had built and starts becoming a big problem. Uh, And so poor Cad... I say poor Cad, but he's a bad guy, so forget about him. Uh, he has to evacuate the lodge because the fire well, under has... protest. Yes, under protest. Yes. The superintendent basically makes him, uh, as well as Patrick Warburton, as yes. Pulaski. Yes. Can we talk about the lodge a little bit? Because really, can. like, yeah. So the 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 name of the lodge is actually the Grand Fuselage. Get of course it, it is. Yes, it is. Uh, so, as we discussed, it's it's based on the Old Faithful Inn, which, like we said earlier, is, is part of the inspiration for Wilderness Lodge. Uh, they got a full tour, even in the places that they normally don't let guests go into. Uh, they have an inter- they have an indoor treehouse in that lodge, in the actual Old Faithful Inn. So, they, they spend time there, staying there, you know, looking around. 
Uh, it is designed to have 327 hangers, not rooms. Okay, so like it, apparently you can actually like sit and count them is what I was reading. Uh, it has a gift shop. It has a spa, which if you sit look in the background, you'll catch that its name is named Details. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, also, uh, in keeping with the rules of uh, yeah. Is it Yellowstone where? Yeah, Old Faithful's in Yellowstone, right? Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry. I have to, sorry, there's a lot of parks that are referenced, but, but that's right. Like Charles said earlier, uh, the Piston Peak and that whole thing is not based on any one national park. It's based on all of them. <laughs> that's, that's an important, important detail. But in keeping with the concepts of the Old Faithful Inn and the fact that the Old Faithful Inn is right next to Old Faithful – Okay, is uh, due to the heat given off by Old Faithful, the inn must, even when it's been rebuilt, because it's actually burned down a few times, in case you, you know, uh, or caught on fire a few times today, I actually have to make sure that it always maintains a distance of at least one eighth of a mile from Old Faithful. So they have the geyser, and you'll notice the geyser is not near the hotel in the movie either, because right. they, they, they maintain the same required distance. Also, there's. Uh, there's a big, the big uh, courtyard in front of the uh, hotel is if you look at it from above very carefully, which you can actually see in the movie, it looks like a giant steering wheel. Oh, you're right. I didn't think of that when I was watching it, but you're right. <laughs> now that I'm, yeah. I'm thinking back over it on my head, yeah. Yes. And, and uh, just to quickly go over Piston Peak itself, too, it is, it is designed as a two-mile area of digital landscape, okay, the entire valley where everything is. Uh, it contains more than two and a half million digital trees, each of which is capable of acting independently. Okay, so if you watch the trees, like they don't clump together and burn together or get affected by water today. Each one gets affected differently due to chaos elements in the programming. I'll just do that in air quotes, chaos elements. That's cool. <laughs> um, and there's also numerous forms of foliage that are all based to look like real foliage that you'd find in the various national parks across the country. Uh, it, Piston Peak is in V6 Valley. That's the lead-in valley that they keep flying in and out of. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, the uh, main area is called Skyline Drive. Okay. Uh, then you have the geyser is the gasket geyser as opposed to Old Faithful. Okay. Uh, Mount Crashmore, because again, it's every park. <laughs> Uh, okay. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I said it's it's literally got elements of every national. So then it's got White Wall Falls, which is the waterfall, right? Auger okay. Canyon, right, which is based on a, a bridge over the Colorado River. So for people who want to know, uh, Coil Coil Springs, right, and the Oil Pan Pots. Those are all the various areas that get quickly mentioned or shown. And you can actually, I'll, in, in notes, I'll include a link that has a map that shows you where everything is relative to each other. There's a lot of work put into uh, creating this, this, this world. Yeah. Well, they wanted to give, like, real feels of distance. Because like, you know, one of the things you, you were mentioning is, like, when Dusty is flying to the uh, base in the beginning of the movie, right. it feels like a real trip, right? Despite it does, it is, yeah. Right? It is... If you notice when they when they're taking off from the air attack base and they're going to the fire, it feels like they actually have to get there, right? It, it's not like boom they take off and they're at the fire, ever. Right. And and that's why they went through such detail and made it so big, you know. 
Oh, speaking of the uh, the lodge, um, we kind of skipped over the party a bit, um, <laughs> but I just wanted yes. to mention who voices uh, Winnie and Harvey, the RVs that we meet, because it's Jerry Stiller and his real-life wife, Anne Miera, I believe is how you pronounce it, but um, yeah, they are actually married in real life. As, yes. we, covered in, as, we, as we will cover in a future movie. <laughs> 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 That's right. As we will cover in a future movie, Cheryl is correct. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, hey, folks, we already recorded an episode that they're in. Um, but here, here's the fun part. So in the movie, uh, they're they're celebrating. Winnie and Harvey are celebrating their 50th anniversary. In real life, at the time of filming, uh, they were celebrating their 60th anniversary. Yes, they have been together for quite some time and performing together for years. Yes. I have to say, the toast is the weirdest thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that poor couple with that toast. <laughs> I, you had me up until the part they were t- eating their tires. <laughs> yes. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. What, what we're talking about is, is they go around, outside around a fire and uh, Dusty buys everyone drinks. He does mention that in the movie. And... Uh, because he's rich racing dude, I guess. And and, uh, and Lifter is made to make the toast, and he tells a story, which is actually based on a real Indian legend of the coyote and how the coyote brought man fire, and that's that's the story. It's adapted a bit for a Cars universe, to be sure. To be sure, because the difference being that it ain't. It, it's it's not tires that it, it are being eaten in the uh, in the actual uh, <laughs> thing. It's it's the coyotes eat eats, eats his feet <laughs> in the actual thing. So it's uh, it's very well done. I mean, the voice, the moment. I I kind of liked it a lot actually, despite the slight silliness of it. It was cleverly done. Yeah, I mean, this is part of why I like Windlifter because he just says what he says, and he doesn't he doesn't care. You know what I mean? Like he just says what he says and moves on. He's also got that cool superpower that Radar O'Reilly has, right? He keeps using it throughout the movie, where he, uh, where he just, yes, where he hears right. something over the announcement. He goes, "No, no, wait a minute, wait for it," and then it yep. changes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Also, I'm um, the. The crystal, the crystal lobby, the crystal hotel, ice crystal hotel. Oh, well, I think it was an ice sculpture, but I liked how, if you catch at the end when they're evacuating, is somebody straps the ice sculpture to the roof of themselves? Yes, right, because <laughs> that way, figuring that they won't burn that way, I guess, is the nearest I could tell with that. Yeah. But yeah, uh, so it's kind of skipping around a little bit, but you yeah. know, going back to the the, the fire itself, uh, what what ended up happening ends up happening is like we said, they're evacuating everything, and they are uh, the the firefighters are trying to figure out how to uh, put this fire out, and CAD meanwhile changes the water supply to put it over the top of the lodge so the lodge won't itself won't catch on fire. Yes, yeah, so the the sprinklers on the lodge. They were Right. <laughs> yeah, actually you laughed the sprinklers are actually based on sprinklers that are actually at the old faithful inn. So it's a real thing. Okay. And so 
doing so takes the money takes the the money and uh he's already done that no takes the water away from uh the the firefighters so basically what happens is uh they go to fill their tanks with the retardant that they've been using throughout the movie so like a mixture of water and and flame retardant substances and there isn't any uh there's because there's no water so they have to basically go with what they have in their tanks uh so they manage to go out and stop some parts of the fire and like we we were talking about earlier uh they there's a crash at the road where they're trying to get everybody out so it stops the train i love that train by the way i thought yeah. the train was awesome in the uh and i i want trains instead of planes to be the next spinoff here it's not just it's not just that it, i liked how it, it the station was in the hotel I kind of thought that was like a really clever design. Like, and I was reading because I thought maybe that was a real thing, but apparently it's based on a real train station, but not in the. But the real train station wasn't in the hotel like it is in the movie. To your point, Ryan, um, if if Disney, if Walt Disney was still around today, we would have definitely gotten some sort of trains franchise. I think. Um, no, well, John Lesser has already said he would like if this does well, which apparently it is, um, that he would like to do trains next. Um, I they, right now they've committed to, according to what I last I read, um, three planes movies. So I guess after the three planes movies, we will we will get trains. Well, the third the third movie they've yeah. committed to, not like three more, one no, no, more. No, no, they've committed to three <laughs> totals. Yes. Yeah, I haven't heard. They haven't picked a release date for the third one, so no, I don't but know when I, that's coming. But I heard it's being worked on, so. Yeah. Well, we'll see. This one, this one's made as of right now. I think uh, the last report I saw was seventy-five million, and it cost about fifty to make. Um, which, if you if you include marketing and and some of those things, probably not hugely profitable. So I don't know. Well, they uh, haven't figured in toy sales though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, absolutely. <laughs> but. Um, it, it, you still want the movie to make a decent, you know, a, a little bit of money on its own. So I don't know. I, I'm curious to see um, how how that changes in a, as we as we go forward. But yeah, especially since it's a kids movie, and usually movies that are at least in the summer like this for kids tend not to make it into the fall because school starts back up. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah I think it's going to die off pretty soon. I think it also had the disadvantage of opening right around a lot of other big summer movies that were also targeted as at kids. And I think that Guardians uh, <laughs> officially, I mean, it's still technically out here in the city, but Guardians is pretty much eating up a lot of the family audiences going out to the movies right now. So. Yeah, although for I don't sure. know how it was for you. When we went to see um, Fire, because we had seen Fire and Rescue almost a month ago now originally, but when we went to see it this past weekend, I thought the theater was more full than I was expecting it to be. There was one other family in our theater. Oh, that really? was it. Yeah, yeah. Same, same here. <laughs> we, had, we had a few rows full, so it was surprising. Like, I was expecting what you had, which was me. I sat in movies like that, that that have been out that long, and I've been the only person in the theater. Or you know, Cheryl and I have been the only people in the theater. Yeah. 
I don't know. It's, uh, I'm curious to see what happens going forward because you know Disney's got to remake all their old animated movies now, um, so they got to make room for that. As live action, though. <laughs> yeah, apparently. Um, and then it, it, it's a whole other uh, question of Disney and release dates because you know Marvel's now got three a year um, in in the outgoing years. Uh, Star Wars will have one every year. Actually, they have um, one year with four. Yeah. I don't think that one will – I think they'll end up having – they'll move the one that was for, but that's a whole other thing. Uh, but, yeah, Disney's uh, real estate and release dates is getting eaten up quickly. But, uh, yeah, going back to Planes, Fire, and Rescue, um, you know, they managed to clear the road for everybody. Uh, and then Dusty has to prove himself because the, the two campers that we talked about uh, are stuck at the canyon and so the only person who can get to them is is Dusty. So he has to go and uh, kind of find a way to get water in his pontoons uh, and do do a water drop. So the only way he's able to do that is since the wreckage of everything has fallen into the river, he has to go straight up a waterfall to get the water. I don't think that's realistic, but it is kind of cool because it plays exactly into what was happening with the torque. Uh, uh, and his danger earlier. So he manages to go up the waterfall, do the water drop, uh, and just in time, Blade gets there to grab the campers and help them escape the burning bridge as it falls into the canyon. Uh, I thought that was a great scene. You know, I like the, those two characters, the Jerry Stiller and Anna O'Meara characters are good, uh, and, and Dusty doing the thing he had not been able to do earlier. You know, obvious, but still good. Yeah, yeah. I, oh, I I liked it too because it was his. It was actually his first successful water pickup too, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I, now, it, so it, it had several nice elements to it, but I, what I like is again going back to the fact that in this movie, I think he's more of something for kids to look up to. Yes, and I think this is a moment when that really shows through. Is like he is sacrificing himself to save people. Right, which mm-hmm. is what Blade had yep. put into him. Yeah, well, what they all kind of put into him, really, but Blade more, Blade more than anyone else, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And this is basically what happens: is you know Dusty's gearbox breaks uh, and he falls and crashes. And again, like for kids, this is pretty intense. Like my daughter, like I said, had seen this when we went to the movie. Um, the other day, and she was like hiding her eyes because she knew it was happening. Um, but he gets airlifted back to the base uh, and wakes up five days later. Uh, and Maru has rebuilt him and has actually built him a new gearbox, a custom refurbished gearbox, so he can do uh, racing or firefighting or both. He's just, you know, he's now dusty. I think the next thing he's going to solve world peace. <laughs> in the third movie. Um, I, I mentioned before that there was another family in our theater. Um, the young girl that was with the family, um, she was very upset by this scene um, when they were bringing when they were bringing him back because, and I definitely heard her asking her mother very loudly, "Is he going to die?" <laughs> and yeah. the mother assuring her, "No, no, no, it's okay. They're just going to fix him up." <laughs> But, but at the same time, going back to something Ryan said earlier in the episode, is this is the same moment in the original movie because he has the same exact kind of crash and the same exact kind of rebuild moment. Yes. Although then he gets new parts. This time he gets better than new parts. 
<laughs> because that's how Maru rolls. Yes. Yeah. So he, he manages to do that. They go back to uh, Prop Watch Junction after he's been certified as a firefighter. Well, we, we, we find out that um, Cad Spinner was fired. Um, has, has gone fire has gone to fire demoted something. We'll we'll let you know later. Um Yeah, we find and, out about that. Yeah. And, and then um that the jammer who was the basically the park ranger has got his job. Yes. Right. Thanks to Fred Willard. Yep. Everything's thanks to Fred Willard. Really it is. <laughs> And, yeah, so he manages to go back to Prop Watch Junction. He's certified as a firefighter so they can reopen for the Corn Festival, which, by the way, that felt like he arrived, they certified him, and the Corn Festival was happening within the span of about a minute and a half. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, every, like I said, there's, there's maybe three days that pass in this entire movie. Also, wait a minute, the amount of fires that that valley had and the entire fire crew goes all the way to Prop Watch Junction – who is fighting the fires while they're gone? I did think of no that. One. Yeah. <laughs> did they just like tell the fires, hey, you know what, guys? Hold off. We'll be back. We promise we'll put you out then. Probably. It is a Cars universe, so it is potentially possible that the fire is sentient. It's true. It's a good point. Yes, and so Prop Watch Junction gets reopened, and then he does. They do a big aerial show with Dusty flying around in his racing paraphernalia, and uh, the smoke jumpers doing like X Games tricks. I swear they're going to show up in the next ESPN X Games because. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's very enjoyable. Yeah, I mean, at this point, I was just like, okay, I get it. Let's let, let's go. And then, um, so that's that's the end of the the film proper. And if you, in, in borrowing a page from Marvel, if you stick around to the very very end, uh, we find out that that Cad Spinner has uh, been demoted to Death Valley. Uh, and my favorite thing there is the sign that's like, yes, it really is that hot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then you get to see the smoke jumpers and the credits also. Correct. Yeah. So it actually does have two ending credit scenes. And um, I want to say we do have a Star Wars slash Guardians slash... um, Because Kevin Michael Richardson does voices in this. Yeah. So he's also done the voice of Groot many times. He's done the voice uh, in Star Wars Phineas and Ferb. He's done a yep. voice. He's done voices in the Star Wars video games. Yeah, actually, Corey, whatever her name is, who does the lead of the Smoke Jumpers, was is also uh, she does vo- some of the voices in the Star Wars Phineas and Ferb episode as well as some of the video games also. Yep, Corey English. Yeah, I couldn't remember her last name. And yeah. like we said, like we said, we said this mentioned John Ratzenberger earlier. Yes, yes. and. And one last uh, quick note. Um, so I ha- I actually am, it's terrible that I don't know how to pronounce his name, but it's Rene. I can't pronounce his last name, oh, but he's uh, from uh, yes, from Star Trek: Deep Space Nine, and also best known for In Little Mermaid singing Les Poissons. <laughs> yes, <laughs> as the concierge. Oh, you're right. He is. Yes. 
Yeah, there were a lot of voice act like you know, star you know, drop in stars for the voice actors here, for the ones yep. that get like one or two lines. Yeah, I think they basically just invited all of Hollywood in. <laughs> there are a lot of people in that lodge. Uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Anything else we want to add about planes? No. Oh, I actually have one last thing. Okay, um, go Okay. There's a YouTube video blogger, um, Evan Tube, who visited the Disney Tune Studios and interviewed the creative team for Planes Fire and Rescue. And he may be very young, but he was definitely a pro uh, with his video. Uh, check out his video about the making of Planes Fire and Rescue. It's, it's pretty great. Oh, nice. I'll also include some links about fire retardant if people want to learn what they were actually doing in the in the show notes. But I'm not going to get into talking about it here because it's chemistry, and we don't need to get we didn't need to do that. Also, I believe um you can also search on on the on the Twitter hashtag planes fire and rescue. Yeah. Oh, I know the the soundtrack. Uh, Mark Mancina carries over his scores from the first movie into this one, in a lot of cases. But also, there's a lot of lyrics in this movie that are done by Brad Paisley. And they're done as new songs for this movie. So. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. And for people who might remember who Bob Scanaway is, I did want to say that he uh, does have a soft spot in uh, Disney fan hearts because he was responsible for House of Mouse. Ah, uh, House of Mouse. <laughs> so. Good show. Yeah. Good show. Nowadays he does Jake and the Neverland Pirates, so. Which is, which is of those shows... Uh, is better than the other ones. So I will give him credit there. Oh, yeah, no, I'm not knocking him for doing it. I'm just saying like, if people want to relate him to modern times, that's what he does today. And he did Secret of the Wings for um, Tinkerbell. Very cool. All right. Uh, so let, let us rate planes. Todd. Todd. Your thoughts? Uh, so first of all, uh, this movie is light years better than the first one was. I mean, it's still not a when, – when you say it, though, it's, it's relative. I, I don't remember. Like, I, again, I want to listen to the episode and remember what I gave for stars. I'm pretty sure that I probably gave, like, two, two, and a, um, two, two and a half stars, maybe even, like, just said two and a quarter for the original planes, if I was to think about it right now. I kind of sort of feel that for the effort, the level of detail, the, um, the better story um, – all that kind of stuff. I think the characters are more believable in this movie in a lot of ways. I I've really like this more, and I feel it's a three as a result. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, I'm, I'll, I'll go next. I would say that I, I would give this one a two. I think I gave the original a two. Um, while it is definitely better than the first one, it's not so much better that I really wanted to see it or watch it again, or, or any of those things, I give them a lot of credit for not phoning it in. Um, because that's something that if you have children, as I do, and you've seen a lot of films like this, um, that happens a lot, right? They just make the movie to make the movie sell some toys and work on it and you know move on with life. Uh, they didn't do that in this, and I really respect that. That said, it being better than the first is a very low bar to clear, and it I didn't I wasn't all that concerned with the characters. Um, like I said, the plot was repetitive from the other Cars, Planes films, so um, I, will, I will give it a two. All right, Rachel? 
I think the first Planes movie I gave maybe one and a half stars to. This one I'm going to give two and a half. Um, Personally, it's not one that I'm going to feel compelled to go back and watch again. But I think with the proper expectations and for the right audience, which is young kids, I think this is a heck of a lot better than a lot of stuff that's out there right now. Specifically, I'm pointing to the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which is taking a property that was meant for kids and for toys and making it dark. Whereas this one is not doing that. It's having fun with it and actually having a good message about self-sacrifice. So it's definitely a recommendation for, for people with younger viewers, even like even though personally I'm only giving it two and a half stars. No, that makes perfect sense. All right, Cheryl. And this should be no surprise to anybody, but I'm giving this a five. No surprise. I love no this surprise. I love this movie. I would see it if, if if I could watch it now, I would. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm going to bet that this one will be playing on our nighttime fall asleep movie quite a lot. Once, once <laughs> this, this, I mean, along with Muppets, well, I think Muppets Will Swanson will beat this, obviously. <laughs> um, but this is going to go in like my my top what twenty, top twenty, yeah, I guess go top twenty, top twenty five movies that I like that I would definitely you know if I'm on a plane, I have a choice of movies. This is one of them I'd like to have. I I don't think you're going to get agreement from us, but hey, I'm. Uh, you know what? I'm glad you liked it because we all had to go see it, and somebody needed to enjoy it. <laughs> so we have we have two kind of ranges of opinion, folks. So weigh in. Uh, let us know. That's our, that's our review of Planes, Fire, and Rescue. So are you on Cheryl's side? Like this is a five. This is a really good movie. Uh, or are you with the rest of us in the two, three range? Uh, you know, kind of a slight improvement over the last one. Uh, let us know. You can leave a note in the show notes on DisneyFilmProject.com. You can tweet us at DisFilmProject. You can also find us on Facebook, Disney Film Project there. And, of course, you can always email us, DisneyFilmProject at gmail.com. So let us know what you guys think. I, I, I can't remember the last time we were quite that far apart on a film in our, in our ratings. So I, I'm interested to hear what the listeners have to say. All right. Uh, so if you are listening to us, I assume you are doing so through uh, Stitcher or DizDads Radio or your podcast aggregator. Uh, iTunes, so we appreciate you doing that. You can listen to the show in all of those different ways. Uh, and if you don't mind, go into iTunes and leave us a rating or a review. That helps people find the show. It helps uh, for when they search for Disney Podcast. helps people pull it up, uh, so we would appreciate it if you could do that as well. And don't forget you can also comment on the website as well. Yes. Yep. Please do that as well. We appreciate that. All right, so uh, that will do it for this week's episode on Planes, Fire, and Rescue. If uh, you guys want to let us know your thoughts, we'd appreciate it. But uh, until next week, for Todd and Cheryl and Rachel, I'm Ryan, and we will see you again soon. Wow, look at that ice sculpture. This could be our room if we were tiny pieces of ice. She left me for a hybrid. I didn't even hear him coming. (laughs) I like watching you sleep. Dusty Crop Hopper, the air racer. I'm Dipper, your biggest fan.